This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's big question, can I get justice? Today we're asking this question to Jenny Pakula. Jenny is a lawyer and manager of innovation and consumer engagement at Victorian Legal Services Board and Commissioner. She's been working in the legal profession for over 30 years and she joins me now. Please welcome Jenny Pakula. Welcome, Jenny. Um, now, you work for the Victorian Legal Services Board and Commissioner. That's a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. What, is, what does that mean? What do, what do they do? Well, if I was to sum it up, we make legal services better. <laughs> okay, right. So we give grants to develop innovative services, we give grants to support access to justice, um, and we handle complaints, we resolve disputes between lawyers and their clients, we look after registration of lawyers, and at the very, very pointy end, with the few naughty lawyers there are, we prosecute them. Right, okay, so you keep the legal profession honest, so to speak. Right, yeah. And what's your particular role there? Your innovation, what, what, what does that mean? Um, my role is to try to encourage lawyers not to be afraid of the regulator and to try and do things differently to, uh, I guess, uh, design their services better so that they can provide more access to justice, more legal services for more people at a lower price and in a more effective and consumer-friendly way. So you're trying to get more people access to justice, so to speak? Yes. Yeah, okay. Now, just to clarify today, you're not going to give us any legal advice, are you? No, and as I'm a good lawyer, I should say that all the views expressed herein are <laughs> my, my views personally and not the views of my organisation. <laughs> Now, we're going to come back and talk a bit more about the search for justice, but to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Now, many people associate getting justice with a fair and reasonable court trial. So, Jenny, I thought I'd test you on what the witness said next in a court trial, according to the Reader's Digest, 20 funniest lawyer jokes ever. Okay. Well, there's two questions or two court cases and they're both multiple choice answers. Okay, case one. A lawyer was questioning a witness with the following exchange. The lawyer said, how was your first marriage terminated? The witness said, by death. The lawyer then asked, and by whose death was it terminated? Okay. So what did the witness say next? Was it A, guess? Was it B, I'm not really sure, it could have been my wife. C, it was definitely my wife. Or D, the cat, we had a complicated prenup. I'm going to go for a smart witness and pick A, guess. And that's a good answer to go with because that's the correct answer. That's right, yeah. So what do you think you'd say if you were asked that question in a court case? Probably, duh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but surely, do lawyers really ask questions like that in trials? The stupid ones, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, case two. A lawyer was questioning a doctor and asked, Doctor, how many of your autopsies have you performed on dead people? What did the witness say next? A, I'm not sure. B, 35. C, just one and it went very badly. Or D, all of them, the live ones, put up too much of a fight. <laughs> so what did the witness say next? Uh, D. D. Yeah, well, that's actually the correct answer. So well done, Jenny. You don't need any legal advice because you passed. You've got two about two smaller questions. Right, big round of applause. <laughs> So, Jenny, do you think that these clients of these lawyers would get justice 
with lawyers asking those kind of questions? Maybe not, because <laughs> lawyers that would ask those sorts of questions would probably not be not very good on their feet and not very clear thinkers. Right, OK. So that's one of the uh, ways of getting justice, then, is it? Having a good lawyer? It who can helps. Think, who can think on their feet? It helps. I, I, I think the, the justice system is often very complicated and very difficult to navigate. Um, I often say that a lawyer's role is almost being like a tour guide in a very strange and uh, very treacherous country. OK. How, how so? What, why is that? What, what does that mean? Because I think people can look up stuff on the internet and get a bit of a sense of what the law says, but they don't necessarily have an idea of how it actually works in practice. And um, a lawyer, hopefully with repeat experience, would be able to get an idea of how a case is going to go, where its weaknesses are. So there, there's a lot of practice, there's a lot of pattern recognition. Right. When you, when you read a statute, that only tells you maybe 10 to 15% of the total story of how a trial's going to go. So does someone say, though, that whilst lawyers not necessarily are perfect, there's a big, bigger question here, which is sort of the nature of our legal system. And a lawyer once said to me, we don't have a justice system, we have a legal system. So is that a fair assessment? Yes and no. I think yes, because um, justice is very, very difficult to achieve in any particular case. Mm -hmm. And... I think it really depends on what you mean by justice because there's a lot of people that would make complaints to our office and uh, we always have this section in the complaint form which says, what are you hoping to achieve by making this complaint? And they'll say something like, I want justice. Right. So um, what they mean is that I want to I get my way and I want to be vindicated. Whereas that might not necessarily be just if you knew all the circumstances of what's what's going into it. So I, I guess ideally law should give you a set of rules that everybody agrees to abide by and yeah. those rules ideally should be relatively clear mm -hmm. and uh, relatively predictable. Yeah. But in practice it's a bit more complicated. So justice is complicated then? Yes. Yeah. How do people then access justice then? Um, like there's a number of surveys that say that somewhere between 75 to 85 percent of people who have legal problem don't seek legal help. Yeah. So is justice then elusive for some? Yes, it can be, um, and I think resourcing can make a really big difference, especially when you've got an imbalance of resources between the parties. So just recently, I was talking to a friend who is um, unfortunately divorced. They have one child, uh, her ex-husband is a lot wealthier than her and he keeps on taking her to court over the child's access and residence arrangements and she's just gotten to the point where she's so tired out she's just giving up and right. not seeing her child anywhere nearly as much as she should. So she's not feeling that she's actually going to get justice no. through the current system. So is that part of your role to then try to help make justice more achievable for people? I would hope to be able to encourage lawyers to provide services that would enable people like that to be able to help themselves. I think ideally you would want to keep people out of the justice system uh, with family law as much as possible mm -hmm. because once you get into court you really go down a very difficult and treacherous path. So if people can resolve services, if they can have, um, say, access to some kind of dispute resolution tool that will help them to work out a reasonable arrangement, that would be ideal. Unfortunately, once they get into the um, family law system, things can get very difficult and very treacherous. Mm -hmm. We've talked about some of the challenges and the difficulties in getting justice, I suppose, in our legal system here. 
But what does it mean to get justice? To get justice? I mean, I, I think there's so many dimensions to that question. Because if we say, what is justice? Um, if you wanted to put a simplistic definition on it, you would say that the right result, the, the fair result is achieved, mm. um, that people are put in a position that restores them to where they were before they were wronged. You know, so th th there's a bit of an objective sense of, of justice, that there's a restorative sense of justice. There's also a, I guess, an emotional sense of justice, that people feel that they've been badly done by for various reasons, which can make them very, very angry. But often there's another person in that equation who also feels unjust. So mm. it has a relational angle and it has a subjective angle to it mm. to, as mm. well. But it's also, it's also difficult because to get people back to where they were at the start, for example, I mean, that's difficult in a murder case, for example, because how do you get justice when someone a life's been taken? I, I think when a life's been taken, I, I think that's really more... Um, it's interesting that it's always the Crown that brings a murder prosecution representing the people in the state because it, it really is an offence against the people as a whole. Mm. And, and, and I suppose if you're religious, as, as I am, it's also an offence against God because yeah. God is the person who gave that person their life in the first place. So there has to be some kind of retribution, recompense and... Um, some kind of mark from the society as a whole that, that that was a very, very serious and very wrong thing to do. So mm. there has to be a sense of adequate punishment for that kind of crime. Yeah. So then you've just touched on a few things there, but is justice therefore connected to a, a greater sense of morality then? You've mentioned sort of the society as a whole brings the case against a murder charge, for example. Is there a moral dimension then to justice? I think there has to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's just a, something that's inbuilt into us as, as humans that we have a sense of right and wrong that goes way beyond self-interest, that we do have a sense of what... that there is some kind of objective standard of right and wrong. Yeah. So you can look at a situation that has absolutely nothing to do with you and say, oh, that just seems really unjust to me or that was you know, that's a good result, that's fair. Mm. So is this then one of the reasons it, perhaps we seem to feel a sense of injustice? Like, we all want justice, do you think? Is that connected Absolutely. to this, this, this sense of right and wrong? I, I, think, I think, yes. We, we do want to have a sense that things should work in a particular way. Mm -hmm. There's a real... I, I think that's a very human thing, that we always have a sense of should about... Right. ..seeing how our society works and seeing how... ..and seeing how the justice system works. Yeah. I mean, it's always... Uh, it, it's very interesting that... When you get, uh, say, for example, a high-profile murder trial or a high-profile wrongful death trial, um, you, you hear, for example, about uh, some of the verdicts that are um, handed down with uh, dangerous driving occasioning death and you listen to the report on the radio and think, well, that just sounds like a manifestly unjust sentence yeah. or a very light sentence. Everybody has an opinion on these things. But there's a sense that we all have this idea that there's... Something should be done. Like yes. There is justice that needs to be done. Yeah. In fact, it's a question that's just come in from a text line from our live audience just on that. Why do we have that sense of should? Because I think there is a God there that plants that sense of should inside us. Mm -hmm. That there is a, a sense that we're, we're not just self-interested people. We don't just think about what's immediately around us and our own communities and our own families. 
we do have a sense that there is a way that things should operate. Yeah. There is a right and wrong. And there's something bigger, perhaps, like yeah. almost a cosmic lawgiver, perhaps? Would that be one way of looking at it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Now, you believe, you mentioned that you're a religious person, that you believe in this concept of a cosmic lawgiver, but, but why is that? What, what convinced you that this was the way the world was? Because you didn't grow up believing that, did you? No, no, I didn't. I actually became an atheist when I was 14. So, um, yeah, so I grew up in a very unreligious family and... Um, I remember watching a documentary about the uh, synapses in the brain and how explaining how thought and emotion and all the rest of it was explained by this activity in the brain and I just thought, well, we must be purely material. Yep. And, uh, you know, that's 14-year-old that's reasoning for you. Sure. And uh, I became an atheist at that point. Yep. But I, I started changing when I was 21, when um, I had a friend at university who died suddenly and, um, you know, very, very unexpectedly. And that just kind of brought me up short and started me thinking about, well, what are people? Is, is, is that actually a palatable thing, the idea that somebody can be that individual and that special and then they just vanish and cease to exist. Mm. And so from there I, I started to think about there is an eternal part of us and that there is a creator. So And, and from there it, it took me a few years to start thinking that through. But the real um, turning point for me came when I travelled overseas after I finished university, you know, the great middle-class rite of passage. Sure, yeah, yeah. I had a job lined up at one of the most prestigious firms in Sydney. Is a legal firm? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. And I thought that was everything that I'd ever wanted to, wanted to do and achieve, but I still felt very hollow inside, like my life had no real purpose to it. And I had a bit of a um, spiritual crisis when I was in France, yeah. uh, travelling by myself for a while, and came to the conclusion that my life would never really have much meaning unless I had some kind of connection with the eternal, some kind of connection with God. And once I reached that point, every youth hostel I went to was... Um, every person that I met and spoke to were Christian. Right, OK. And, uh, you didn't deliberately... Make, this didn't happen on purpose. You were just... People that you just met? Yeah, people that I just met, um, you know, and, and when you're travelling by yourself, you start talking with random people about all sorts of things and the topic always got around to religion and God. <laughs> right. And I, I saw that these people had a sense of purpose and I guess a real calmness and centredness that I really, really wanted. Mm. And so I was curious about it and going... going I used to be pretty anti-Christian and... Um, but I actually saw that they had what I wanted. So I started talking to them, picking their brains and came to the conclusion that this looks good. Was it hard to change your mind then? At the time, no. Right. No. We're asking Jenny Pakula today's big question, can I get justice? And there's an ancient song from the book of Psalms which also explores the search and longing for justice. Now, Jenny, you've mentioned that this was a part of your quest in some ways. You weren't connected to the Bible or anything before, but do you think that ancient book can give us wisdom in our quest for justice? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a bit of a sense in which um, you gauge uh, something's worth by how long it's been around for. And the Bible has been a source of comfort and truth and um, knowledge about God um, going back at its earliest points for, for, to nearly 4,000 years ago. And this has been a, a wonderful book that people have loved for many years and have really 
drawn from it a sense mm. of the truth of God. Mm. It's truly the word of God. Mm. Well, you know, at the start of this psalm, Psalm 58, the psalmist poses some questions. He says, do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? No, in your heart you devise injustice and your hands meet out violence on the earth. So, Jenny, what's the problem here? It seems like there was injustice in this kind of justice system of the ancient world. I think the, the problem there is human sinfulness. Yep. The people who are powerful want to retain their power and they want to lord it over people that are in their way. Yeah, so, so what do you mean by sinfulness? That's just people being people, selfish? People rebelling against the lawgiver, people right. rebelling against God and wanting to do things their own way and feeling that they're not going to be accountable for their actions. Yeah, so the problems of access to justice or the, the issues of justice, they're not necessarily new. It seems to be the oh. human struggling back then similar to how we struggle today? Oh, I think it's a hell of a lot better now than it used to be, so... <laughs> right. So after acknowledging this problem, the psalmist then describes those who perpetuate injustice with vivid imagery, like verse 4. He says, their venom is like the venom of the snake. So why do you think he describes those who bring injustice with such strong images? I think there's a real bitterness that goes with being treated unjustly. Yeah. So I, I think you, you do see it sometimes. So sometimes when people make complaints to us, they, there's a real sense of bitterness and anger and rancor about the injustice that they've experienced. But I, I think it's, it's kind of mild compared to what would happen if, you know, say, for example, if you're in an agrarian community and... Um, you're a poor person, um, you know, say for example if you were an untouchable in India and somebody from a higher caste did something terrible to you, you just had to suck it up and live with it. There was just nothing you could do with it. Mm. And I, I think that that's a terribly embittering thing to have to suffer. Mm. If you've been treated in this terrible way by somebody who has a lot more power than you and they just get away with it. Mm. You, you do still see it where people have been bullied or um, there's been some kind of, you know, say for example, if, if a boss bullies a worker and the worker just sort of feels they have to take it and they have to get out and they can't really raise a, raise a fuss because it would be not in their best interests. Yeah. So they just have to live with this injustice. Yeah. And it's very embittering for so people. So you can recognise the, the, the sort of the emotions that come out from this, this song here. The venom is like the venom of a snake. No one's ever made a complaint like that about someone, injustice in Victoria today, about that they're like venomous snakes. They wouldn't use that kind but of language, sort of... but they have that... They have that sort of flavour to sort them. That sort of flavour, yeah. yeah. But then the Bible then responds to this injustice in a very surprising way. There's a real virulence in the psalmist's words as he re responds to the wicked. And so he says in verse 6, as the composer of the song says, Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. I mean, this is pretty strong language. How could this be in the Bible? The Bible's real. It's real people dealing with real injustice and calling on God to act and calling on God to notice what's going on and do something about it. Mm. So there's a realness to that connection. Obviously, there's he wants justice, I suppose. Yeah, he does, clearly. And, I mean, that's a real human desire. I think, uh, I think the thing I love about the Psalms is that there's a, there's a psalm for pretty much every mood. So. Right, yeah, yeah. And what's <laughs> and this, this is, mood? This is a really bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's feeling wrong. The song, this song of the heart then concludes in a very dramatic fashion. It says in verse 10, the righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. Whoa. This seems kind of 
bloodthirsty and barbaric. I mean, how could this be part of the, the so-called good book? Well, it is. <laughs> so It is, I just read it out. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you did. It's, it's real. And I, I think that, that that's the level that people... Uh, and, and, and I think also that we, we tend to censor ourselves a little bit. And I think also we can sometimes really downplay the depth of uh, the feeling and the bitterness and, and the anger that you... Um, experience when you're treated badly. Been unjust, yeah. yeah. So is there a difference, though, between vengeance and justice, though? Yes. Vengeance, I mean, I think the thing that's interesting about this psalm is that, yes, it has some really horrible and bloodthirsty imagery in it, but it's, it's kind of like this person is pouring out their bitterness and anger before God. If they then took a sword and went and slaughtered all the people that did that done them wrong, that would be wrong. Well, they'd kind of then... They'd so they're, they're leaving it in the God's one, hands. Right, yeah. they're leaving it in God's hands. Yeah. Right, because that's what they're calling on, isn't it? They're, yeah. They're, they're asked... God to avenge them in some sense. Yeah. Um, well, isn't vengeance still a bit of an archaic concept? You know, the idea features in the popular Marvel Avengers you know, movie series. So is avenging something for real life or just something that you know, good versus evil superheroes do? Uh, look, I think, I think it's something that people do seek after, but it's very, very dangerous because it's a very powerful weapon in the hands of uh, people who don't know how to use it properly. Mm, mm. So if, if we're avenging ourselves, you get things like um, blood feuds that you still see in various cultures and that, that never, never actually gets vigilantism, solved. so things like that, because our... Our system and our civilization is relatively good at dealing with these things. I mean, it's way far from perfect, but it could be so much worse mm. that we expect the state to exact that retribution for us. Mm. Well, the song that ends in verse 11, then people will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. So how could this possibly be, be good news? I think it is good news because I think while we can try and approximate justice in this lifetime, it's always going to be flawed and it's always going to be partial and there's always going to be things that can never be properly recompensed. And it is a real comfort to a lot of people to know that there is a God who will judge the earth one day mm -hmm. and that he, he will see somebody like Hitler and what Hitler has done or anybody on that scale and because nobody could possibly punish them enough for what they've done mm. but God can can bring an, an appropriate vengeance on them for all the evil that they've perpetrated. Because I did see an interesting article written by an atheist, uh, Brett Mullen, who rejected the Christian message and described God's final judgment as a particularly ugly feature of Christianity. Yet in the same article he also says that a world without a final reckoning seemed harder and more unfair so we seem to be in, in two minds about this kind of final judgment. So, Jenny, is the idea of a God who judges the earth an ugly thing or a good thing? I think it's a good thing. Yeah? Because if, if he is the one that actually determines what's right and wrong and who knows every person's circumstances, who knows everything as to why things happened, who knows every detail of it, that's the, that's the only person that would be properly qualified to bring about justice. Mm. Uh, it relates to a question that's coming from our text line from our live audience here. Uh, isn't it dangerous to make God the arbiter of justice? Doesn't that place power into just one subset of humanity? Mm, one subset of humanity? That's no. what the question says, yeah. 
God is not a subset of humanity. So how do you how do you see God then in that relation to that? God is the final judge. I mean, it, I think the problem is if if people view themselves as God's delegates to execute judgment, they're often wrong, and um, it often leads to terrible injustice. Mm. And and I think you know to to some degree the state can do that, um, and I think that that is partially because. Uh, I guess the justice system is, uh, and the power of punishment is legitimised by the rest of us. It's it's something where where the rules are imposed and enforced by consent. But if somebody decides that they're the ones who are licensed to take vengeance on God's behalf, they are stepping into deeply wicked territory. Right. Yeah. So there's a distinction between God Himself bringing justice and His sort of human representatives yeah. trying to think that they're bringing justice, that the two are not necessarily connected or the That's same. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So does the idea, though, of God being a judge fill you with fear and worry? It would be without Jesus. How does Jesus help? Jesus paid for my sins and paid for the punishment that I deserve. If I was, if I was facing God by myself, that would be indeed a deep problem and I know that I would go to hell. Right. But Jesus died in my place and in trusting in him, I can trust him to take God's punishment for me. Doesn't seem very just for Jesus, though. But Jesus, Jesus as the son of God is able to take on the sins of the entire world. And it's a gift that he does give to anybody who seeks to, who, who will trust in him. Mm, mm. Another question's come in from our live audience here. It says, did you, Jenny, that's you, sorry, this is... Uh, <laughs> So, Jenny, did you feel like God was being unfair or acting unjust when your friend passed away at a young age? What happens when we feel like God is the one who is being unfair? Funnily enough, I've, I never felt like that that was unjust. I mean, I thought it was very sad, but no, no. You didn't think it was an unjust? I, I thought it was very sad right. and I was yeah. very, you know, I was very unhappy about it and I don't know what God's plans were in that regard, mm. but... If he is our creator, he has the right to give and take life as he sees fit. Mm. And sometimes that's, well, all the time it's very hard when that happens. Mm. It's just one of the sad things about living in a fallen world. Mm. Yeah. Now, Jenny, this psalm is an ancient song. So if it were a modern tune, uh, what type of song do you think it would be? Heavy metal in a minor key. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Just it's... It's raw, it's loud. It's raw, it's angry, it's loud. Right, you know, yeah. It would it'd have to go with a few, you know, a bit of screaming, and <laughs> heavy drums and all the right, rest yeah. of it. So. But there's hope at the end, though? There's hope at the end. Yeah. So, Jenny, can I get justice? In this life, an approximation. Um, in the next life, uh, I think a lot of us don't want it. We, we shouldn't want justice, we should want grace. And that grace is available in the Lord Jesus. Mm. Well, let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to this big question. Can I get justice? From Psalm 58, 11. Then people will say, surely the righteous are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Jenny Pakula. Enjoy Bigger Questions? You can help us keep asking them for as little as $1 a podcast. Support the show. Go to patreon.com slash bigger questions.